Welcome to the latest installment of Fox Rothschild's Franchise Fundamentals podcast, featuring partner John Gataski in Pittsburgh. Today, we'll talk about part two in John's topic of franchise agreements in bankruptcy cases and business restructuring. Part one, uh, if you've heard that, focuses on some of the problems and issues that bankruptcy can, but also cannot resolve. Part two today, we'll go into a little more detail about concept, uh, concepts known as assumption and rejection of franchise agreements. John edits Fox's Franchise Law Update blog. He represents clients in a variety of corporate, venture finance, franchising, licensing, and distribution matters, as well as in bankruptcy and commercial litigation. His Franchise Fundamentals podcast library covers a broad variety of key concerns, business strategy, and legal updates, and uh, explores the operational change, uh, challenges and, and solutions that shape business growth. John? Oh, thank you. John, in your recent presentation at the American Bar Association Annual Forum on Franchising, you and Jason Binford of the Office of Attorney General of Texas discussed the issue of assumption and rejection of executory contracts. And these, of course, are critical in a bankruptcy, especially in the franchise industry, uh, we talked um, uh, about the assumption and rejection of contracts in our latest podcast, uh, but maybe you can give a brief refresher on the concepts uh, again. Sure. For any executory contract, a debtor has two choices, assumption or rejection, each leading to different results. Under the bankruptcy code, the debtor or bankruptcy trustee decides whether to perform its obligations. If the debtor agrees to perform, it's called assumption of the contract, and if a debtor refuses to perform, it's called rejection. Mm -hmm. Franchisees that file for bankruptcy protection and, and want to continue doing business will also want to assume the franchise agreement. Of course, the franchisor might object if it's motivated to push the franchisee out of its system. John, uh, tell our listeners more about rejection. Instead of outright assumption of a franchise agreement or, or employment contracts, a debtor may choose to reject them. Such a rejection is treated like a breach of the agreement and leads to what are considered rejection damages, which generally are breach of contract damages. John, in your ABA forum presentation, you addressed the concept of rejection in a case known as tempnology. That's right. Uh, while Chapter 11 bankruptcy cases usually deal with the franchisee as debtor, bankruptcy filings by franchisors are becoming more common. Uh, the holding in technology will be relevant where a franchisor debtor seeks to reject a franchise or perhaps an area development agreement and the related trademark license. John, you also discussed one court's interpretation of rejection in a case known as Lubrizol. That's right. Lubrizol was a court of appeal case that predated technology and it involved a licensed metal coating technology. After the licensor filed for bankruptcy protection, the court allowed the licensor to reject the license agreement and ruled that the rejection terminated the licensee's right to use the intellectual property. Hmm. Uh, that court noted that the value of the metal coating technology would be more worth more to the bankrupt licensor without the restrictions of the Lubrizol agreement. Now, the reaction from the business community to this decision was frankly consternation. 
it seemed that a licensee of intellectual property could do everything right, could completely comply with the terms of its contract, and still be stripped of all of its rights simply if the licensor became insolvent and in need of protection from creditors. The Luprizol decision thus left licensees with no right after rejection other than to recover money damages, which really wasn't helpful. Hmm. And, and there had been other judicial interpretations uh, in a case known as Sunbeam products. True. Uh, the Sunbeam case uh, was a different court of appeal. And that case was about a company that made box fans uh, covered by patents and trademarks. The company went to bankruptcy and it was purchased by Sunbeam. Sunbeam then tried to reject certain of the company's contracts with vendors. Hmm. The Seventh Circuit here concluded that the rejection of an executory contract in bankruptcy does not, I love this word they used, vaporize the mm -hmm. contract. Instead, it merely results in a breach of contract, and consequently, the non-debtor licensee's contractual rights to utilize the license patents and trademarks remain intact. John, let's get back to the technology case, if we could. How does that factor in? Well, as I mentioned, Lubrizol and Sunbeam products were from different courts of appeals, and the Supreme Court in technology resolved the split between those two appellate courts. In the case, Technology had signed really an unfavorable licensing agreement with another company involving trademark clothing and accessories. Technology filed for bankruptcy in order to reject the licensing contract, uh, which it believed was really burdensome. Hmm. The case has a really convoluted history, but ultimately the Supreme Court agreed more with the Sunbeam analysis and ruled that rejection of trademark license agreement by a debtor licensor does not simply vaporize the rights of the non-debtor licensee. Subject to certain limitations, the licensee still has whatever rights it would have had under state law if the licensor breached and bankruptcy had not been filed. Now, most importantly for the licensee, that includes the right to continue utilizing the trademarks pursuant to the terms of the license agreement. Now, to be clear, this right to continued use does not mean that the licensee's obligations are obviated. Uh, to the contrary, the licensee must continue to fulfill all of its contractual obligations, specifically including the obligation to pay all royalties as they come due. John, what are the lessons from the technology case for franchising? Well, that's a good question. Uh, as I mentioned, we expect that more uh, franchisor bankruptcy cases will be coming up. And what we have seen in the past is that a common strategy of bankrupt franchisors has been to reject area development agreements, uh, planning to either renegotiate them or, or resell those areas as part of a bankruptcy sale to new owners or as a way of raising cash. Uh, such a strategy, I believe, under technology is really no longer viable. Instead, such agreements will need to be terminated on their merits uh, to proceed with the same strategy and that will be more complicated and costly. Second, uh, technology really demonstrated to debtor licensors that one tool of bankruptcy, that being rejection, was not as powerful uh, as the debtor community had thought. Hmm. Other bankruptcy tools may or may not be a better fit for a particular situation. And finally, technology highlights uh, in a special way the essential need for pre-bankruptcy planning for all issues but now especially uh, for trademark issues. 
John, there's so much more that you and Jason Binford presented at the ABA forum on franchising. Yes, we covered disclosure obligations, contract limitations, broken business models and the control of the company, uh, the costs of the bankruptcy, which are often much more than people expect, and many others. John, I wish we could cover more of these issues, but unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Listeners, be sure to check out part one of this two-part series uh, to confidentially discuss the possibility of bankruptcy with your franchise or to discuss John's ABA forum presentation. Please contact him at 412-394-5528 or at jgotaski, that's J-G-O-T-A-S-K-I-E at foxrothschild.com. For more about our firm or to subscribe to Fox's Franchise Law Update blog, please visit us on the web at www.foxrothschild.com. <laughs>